Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready, today we'll be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. I simply entitled this, Is Christ the Lord of Your Marriage? Here is the first half of this two-part study. And we'll look at it in three parts. We'll look at it as verse 22 and uh, 20 through 24, what is a godly wife? In verses 25 through 29, what is a godly husband? Where we'll probably spend most of our time. And then verses 30 through 33, what is a godly marriage? So last week we learned in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, what it is to walk, to be mimicking Christ to be imitators of Christ. The word imitator actually means to mimic. You are to mimic Christ. And he told you that you should be walking in love. He talked about walking in love, exposing the darkness. You are to be the light. But he also said that you are to walk with wisdom, empowered to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that wisdom comes from walking in the spirit you're being filled by the spirit but one of the things i love he said in verse 19 of ephesians chapter 5 was speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the lord giving thanks for all things to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting to one another in the fear of god now when pastors deal with this most pastors will not touch this verse If they're doing topical teachings, they're just going to bypass and not do this part. Because why? We have a problem with submission. We have a problem with submission in our our world. We have kids that don't want to submit when they get pulled over by the police. We We have parents that have children that don't want to submit. Right? But guess what? Husbands don't want to submit either to God and the calling that they have. And wives don't want to submit to the husbands. I call this the S word of the church, submit. Submission is the biggest problem that we have in our culture today, but we also have it in our marriages. What happens is we're so self-centered, so, so narcissistic in our viewpoint is that it's all about me and what my needs are. And unfortunately, what we see is we, we've seen the world kind of tilt this on, the, on edge and and, you know, it's, it's one thing when, when the, look, I, I never go looking to the government to tell them how to build a, a, a bridge or how to make roads, right? I don't do that. But it's one thing when, when the government starts knocking on the door and tells me how I need to, how I need to define marriage for the church. 
what happens is the truth gets distorted in the culture. And unfortunately, it's actually been pushed on even by our government is that we, we, we distorted marriage. And, and you know, I, I'll put it this way. I was listening to a lady that spoke. They just uh, had an event that Andy Stanley put on. And I was listening to this lady that spoke on the Christian worldview, and they were talking about this. And they, one of the things they said is this lady that she goes around and she, um, you know, she is uh, somebody who uh, has been in the gay lifestyle but has come to Christ, but she hasn't given that lifestyle up, meaning that she still is attracted to women, but she's just not acting on it, so to say. And so she goes around and speaks to all these different churches. Churches have opened their doors to let her speak. And one of the things she said is a pastor cannot tell you that you are to divorce. And she said it was a man married to a man because God hates divorce. And I said, no, that's not right. I said, first, God doesn't recognize your marriage. You're in sexual morality. And so we're seeing this distortion of the truth and it's, and it's impacting the church. And so what we have is you'll have progressive thought that comes into the church. And that's why there is an attack on marriages, attack by the enemy on marriages. There's an attack on our children, the way that we are to raise our kids, whether they, you know, they, they want to be male or female, whatever that is. They just want to destroy the gender question. But at the same time, what happens is they try to destroy the patriarchy of the, the, the father leading the home. And this is why we have to stand with the truth. We stand with what the Word of God says. But sadly, what's happened in our churches today is we have marriages that don't stand for truth. We have marriages that, don't, that are not walking in love, that are not walking in the light, that are not having the wisdom and empowered by God to be a godly marriage. That's why when you go to Amazon or you look on Audible, how many Christian books are there for marriage? To help you in your marriage. Because their marriages are failing at the same pace that the world is failing. And that shouldn't happen. We submit, and we submit to the power of Christ. And if you go, well, I can't submit. Christ did. Christ submitted. He was humble, he was obedient, he was a servant to God in Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. And being found in an appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The word submission in the Greek actually means to be subject to. Christ was subject to the Father. Submission is for all of us. We just read that verse that we are to submit to one another. We've gotten this wrong. We've, we've missed a step here. Jesus was submitting to his parents in Luke chapter 2, verses 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all things in her heart. We're also supposed to submit to the government. In Romans 13, 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for God, from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. We are to submit to the laws of the land. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme. The only time we don't submit if it goes against God's word. We have a problem with children 
submitting to their parents, but it tells us we'll learn next week in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right, for this is right. We have a problem with submission to the worker, to the boss. The boss don't know anything, right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. The bondservant, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the sincerity as to Christ. And then ultimately, we are all to submit to God. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we see that all of us are to submit. But the beauty of this passage is that Paul is leading us not only in submission to one another in the church, but submission as husband and wife, but then also submission to the children and the parent and then submission to your boss and then he tells you to do what put on the armor of god how are you going to do all of that put on the armor of god he gave you things that you're supposed to put off and things that you're supposed to put on he tells you how to walk and then he tells you that you need to stand for the lord in ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12 finally my brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So why do I read that verse to you? Well, simply because we're at war. The devil has come after your marriages. You're at war. And, and your marriage is on the front line. We know this, that the devil went after marriage because we see it in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, when Eve uh, is with the serpent. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then, he, uh, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. So what does the devil attack? He didn't attack Eve. He's attacking marriage. The moment that God creates marriage in the, in the garden, right, the, the marriage is created. The devil destroys it. He goes right after it immediately and so if you think that your marriage is not going to constantly be attacked you're fooling yourself the sad thing is is you look at that verse and i look and i go well adam's in close proximity to her it's not her fault it's adam's he was supposed to lead he was supposed to provide he was supposed to protect he failed miserably and then man's solution is hey let's get some fig leaves we'll figure this out Instead of going to God, he hides from God. And that's what most men are doing today. They're hiding from God. If you hadn't noticed, men, today you're going to catch it right on the chin. So just be, be ready. And we see what happens with sin when it enters the world. Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain, and you shall bring forth a child, and your desire shall be your husband, and he shall rule over you. And that word desire means that, that in, in the Hebrew means that you're actually going to be so strong-willed, you're not going to want to let him lead. 
That's, that's the consequence of sin. So that's where the struggle constantly happens in our marriages. And so Paul puts this whole focus on, on Christ. And I want you to get that today. What we learn from these scriptures today is that we are to be imitating Christ, obeying Christ, and that our marriage is based on that obedience to Christ and submission to Christ. And that when, when a marriage is doing what it's supposed to do, it ultimately brings glory to God. And God would be the Lord of your marriage. So let's look at our first point there. What is a godly wife in verse 22? You can go ahead and turn off the air now. I think we got some people covered up. And I'm sorry, Mike. I got you exercising. That's my son anyway, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, bud. Verse, verse 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. So when a wife submits to a husband, she's doing it as to the Lord. And, and this is where a lot of problems begin. But you see that you're subject to Christ. You both are. And so we see that submission is something that we are all supposed to do. But God, through the patriarchy, has made the husband the leader. He tells us that in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife. As also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. So we see as the husband submits, as the wife submits, the husband is to lead. Lead. In 1 Corinthians 11.3 it says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is, in, is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. It's important that, uh, that we see that when we are to lead, the understanding here is that, that we have two different versions of leadership that happens within a home. Either the husband is, and, and this is how my father was. Here's the check. I've done my job. The bills are paid. The rest of it's on you. That's how my, my father was. And he ran the streets. He didn't, we didn't know God. We never went to church. And that's how his leadership was. And so that's what I was taught. And so for 22 years, that's what I did until I came to know Christ. And I started understanding, like, wait a minute, there, this stuff's actually in the Bible, right? You start learning, wait a minute, this is actually in the Bible that I'm supposed to lead? What happens is, is you have that style of leadership where the wife doesn't let the man lead. Or you have the other side, the dictator, the husband that leads with an iron fish, or fi a fist, right? I don't know what an iron fish is, but fist, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but what we see is, is we see the two different types of leadership. And, and God has called y'all to, as he is to lead, it's, it's a mutual respect. And that actually, when you respect each other and you allow the husband to lead... And we'll get into this because it's important that we understand this. As she submits, that means the husband needs to be making decisions that are best as Christ would make for the church. And so there should be a fundamental, uh, fundamental mutual respect that should be there. And it, and it goes back to that, the, the fact that we are one flesh. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. It's one flesh communicating, discussing, praying, right? Together, making decisions. I will not 
will not make a decision without my wife's communication. I, I need that. Why? She's much smarter than me. And I mean that. I, her wisdom, my Lord, I need that. So I want to hear what she has to say. Now, ultimately, when the decision's made, it's mine. It falls on me. So if, if it goes wrong and the wheels fall off, God comes to me. He doesn't go to her. But what happens is a lot of women don't want to let go of the reins of leadership, and it causes problems in the home. Let him lead. If he fails, pray for him. Say, hey, maybe we should have done it a different way. You know, I, I, you never talked to me about it. You just did it. These are, these are the, the importance of communication. This is an importance of being one flesh because when you're not one flesh, you're being ripped apart by the devil. And it creates divide. And can you say, like, if, if you're a woman who's leading everything and you go, man, he's going to fail. I already know him. Let him lead. Yeah, he is going to fail. Can I tell you this? And, and just so you understand this, this is nothing that no lady in this room doesn't know already. You are married to an imperfect husband, okay? But you know what? He's married to an imperfect wife. You both have sin in you still. You both do. You're going to make decisions that, that he's going to fail at, and guess what? You're going to say things to him in your sinful nature. And, and at the end of the day, we, we all have sin, but we need to understand that that the, when we look at the role that God has put in marriage, you are biblical sanctification sandpaper for each other. You get that? You're sanctification sandpaper for each other. God has put you in the marriage together, and you're going to have moments where you're just like, Lord, why did you give me this woman? And she's going to have moments where, Lord, take, take this man out of this house. But your sanctification for each other to learn how to love and to have grace and have mercy and to mimic Christ. So yes, he is supposed to lead. And yes, he is going to make bad decisions at times. How is he supposed to learn if you never let him lead? I can remember early on, even this weekend, we were supposed to be moving yesterday. And we had a, probably 10 things happening all in one day. And my wife, Friday night, God bless her, she looked at me and she goes, you know what, I, I don't know how we're going to do this. She goes, I think you, you need to sleep in your bed tonight, in your house for right now, because you have to teach Sunday morning. And let me tell you, I was stressed. Uh, we were already moving stuff Friday, and, and she told me, and I, I was like, you know what, I think that's probably, let's, let's go ahead and do that, because we have this, this, and this going on Saturday. And then she told me, Yesterday, she was like, you know what? If you would have said, let's go ahead and move, I would have went ahead and went with it because that was your call. But 22 years of marriage, we've been married 30, I think we're 37 years now, will be this year. 22 year, years of marriage, we, never we didn't know Christ. We didn't know what a godly marriage was. We didn't, know what, we didn't know what it was to walk with Christ. We had no clue. And so for 22 years, we argued and fight over everything. Everything color of the wall I mean it, it just we argued over it all and and one of the things I learned is when she came to Christ and and we both started walking with God I remember one day she told me something that stuck with me and and it and it still sticks with me today as I make decisions and she told me you know what I'm never going to leave you I'm always going to be here and I'll be honest that first year of walking with God I was gun shy to make a decision 
Like, I, I was like, well, if I do this, it may create this argument or this may come up. And I didn't want to. I was, I was like walking on minefields. And when she said that, from that point on, I was just like, okay, Lord, you got it. Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's go to the Word. Let's, let's see what, what you want to do, Lord. And do you know what that came from? That came from elder women in the church that came alongside of my wife and discipled her. That's where it came from. When I read Titus, when we talk about what a godly wife looks like, look at Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And this goes completely against the culture. You read this today, you're like, oh, no, you can't do that. But this is what happened with my wife in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, obedient to their, to their own uh, husbands, and that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Basically, what was happening is those godly women were teaching my wife how to communicate with love, how to, how to actually, how to, actually uh, to be there for me in a way uh, that allowed me to, to have confidence in making those decisions. They were being, she was being discipled as I was being discipled by the older men. That's what a church is supposed to do. You have wisdom. Like those of you that have been married over 15, 10, 15, 20 years, you have wisdom that, that you need to be able to share with people. You know and that's part of discipleship, and that, that's one of the things I love is we've been able to see that. Miss Floor and, and Miss Michelle and, and uh, Maida and Miss uh, Elva has, you know, as they work through, and Miss Darla and them have worked through the, uh, the women's ministry and actually sewn into the women. I love that because, man, those young couples, they need that. So to be a godly wife, one of the things you have to be able to do is submit to your husbands. But remember, you're doing it as unto Christ. You're, you're just being obedient to God. You both are being obedient to God. But we get wrapped up in that word submission and submit because none of us want to submit. But you submitted coming here today. How many of you stopped at a stop sign? You submitted to the authority of the, the city, Right? Here's where we're going to camp out. What is a godly husband? Verses 25 through 29 as all the husbands walk out. <laughs> They're like, I got to go. No. Um, so this is really where we need to spend time. And the reason why I say that is because most men have never even been hugged by their fathers. Never been told, hey, I love you, son. Right? And so how are we supposed to learn to love when we haven't been shown that example as a as a son in verse 25 it says husbands love your wife just as christ also loved the church and gave himself for her i for me one of the things that that really stood out to me is is christ died for the church in romans chapter 5 verse 8 it says but god demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners christ died for us Yet Christ is the head of the church, but the husband is too. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and he is, the, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that all, in all things he may have preeminence. 
I just sat there and I, as I was studying this this week, I was like, why did he start with love, right? He, he, he hits the men right off the bat with agape love, sacrificial love, a love that expects nothing in return. That's what he hits them with. And, and you know, I, I was reading this uh, from uh, reading about 1 Corinthians 13. And we all use it. Most people used it during their weddings, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. We all use that during the wedding, but we don't practice that. I always want to, my thing is, is like whenever somebody gets married and they use 1 Corinthians 13, I like to go back and ask them, well, have you practiced that over the year? Just year one. Like, were you kind? Were you, were you patient? But this unknown Arthur wrote this, and I love this. And, he, and he, he takes 1 Corinthians 13 and he goes, love is patient. So he's talking about agape love. Love is patient. That means that it has a long fuse before it blows. Love is kind. It provides some, uh, it's beneficial for her needs. That's what your thought is, is what her needs are. And it is not jealous. It doesn't boil over easily. That's a big problem for a lot of men. Remember what he told you, you got to put, put away anger and, and because anger leads to wrath. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light and you'll find it. 